Good morning. Pastor's message this morning is entitled, The Christian Pattern of Life Transformation. Sermon text is the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. I, be I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we hallow your name together. Lord, we come before you, uh, bowed as it were, before your word. Lord, teach us through it. I pray that our minds would be renewed by it and by the Spirit that inspired it and by the Spirit who lives within us. May you be exalted, Lord, to transform us, to conform us to the image of your Son, to sanctify us from glory to glory until we see him. We know that then we will be like him. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before we get into our text, properly speaking, today, um, I think it's very important that I remind us of the, the right order of things. Often the difference between a Christian and an unbeliever, even an, even an unbeliever that thinks they're a Christian, is that they have things out of order. Order, it just seems like one of those obscure ideas, you know, when we come to important texts like, by the mercies of God, give your whole self, your, present your body a living sacrifice, right? Um, holy and acceptable to God, and be not conformed to this world. Those are big things. But order matters. Before we continue our study in the pattern of the Christian life, I need to remind us, we need to be reminded, that is, that this is the life of someone who is already in the beloved. That is, someone who is accepted before God by, by grace through personal faith in Jesus Christ. There's a union with God and the sinner through the mediator, Jesus Christ. The pattern for the Christian life is not for someone who wants to be a Christian. Let me say that again. The pattern for the Christian life that we're learning here is not for someone who wants to be like Jesus. Conformity to this pattern of life is not the gospel. It's not the good news. It's not the message of God in the first place that sinners can be acceptable before God. Sinners are not declared righteous by God by any level of outward conformity to Jesus Christ. That seems like a very strong statement. Let me say it again. It doesn't matter how practically righteous you are in this world. People might say, that is the spitting image of what I think Jesus must have been like. 
And if that's what you're depending on for your salvation, for you to be accepted before God, the Bible says you are condemned. Works will not commend us before God in the day of judgment. No matter how good they are, no matter how self-sacrificing they are, no matter how much they look like this pattern. The tension in the Christian life is one of spiritual life or spiritual death. Those who are spiritually dead can have some success in living outwardly this pattern of the Christian life. There's whole slews of of cults out there who deny the deity of Christ, who deny essential components about the nature of God and who he is, about what it means to be a Christian, about the atonement, about all of these essential realities for us as sinners to be saved, but they look the part. They look the part a whole lot better than many evangelicals than I know, that I know. Jesus talked about the wheat and the tares growing up together. And you know what is implied in that? Is the wheat don't always know who the tares are. We don't know. Otherwise, we would remove them from our midst. That's easy. 1 Corinthians, right? Remove those who are living in outward sin and unrepentant in it. Remove them from your midst. But that is not the way that the Christian life is always experienced. Some per, sometimes the person living outwardly in front of us is the epitome of what we expect a Christian to be, and they have all sorts of secret sins. That when we find them out, or if we find them out, we are scratching our heads. There's a very famous man that I'm thinking of right now. He's passed away. A man that just boggles my mind what I'm hearing about him. I I love this man's ministry. And I read his books and I listened to his sermons and I followed him in podcasts. And if anybody would have been pure, it would have been that man. And now what we're finding out about that man... Far from living the pattern of the Christian life, he had a whole secret life of sin that he was living in regularly. But, but I'm not talking about the secret life of sin. I'm, I'm saying to you, if somebody doesn't have that secret life of vices, of sin that they're not even struggling with, seemingly, they're just doing it. If somebody is living outwardly and in secret, in a great pattern of of adherence to this life, if that's all they have before God, they will be condemned before God. Those who have spiritual life, that is the mercies of God, have something that the spiritually dead cannot have no matter how much they look like this pattern of life, namely the Holy Spirit, namely sincerity of heart, namely the righteousness of Christ accounted as theirs by God. You see, who we are doesn't in the first place depend on what we do. (laughs) Who you are 
doesn't depend in the first place on what you do. And I say that because God is the one who defines who you are. When God defines you as justified, though you be a sinner still, and everyone who's justified is a sinner still, you have peace with God, though you sin, though you're fighting against sin, though you're struggling and, and cutting off all manners of temptation, and you are struggling, if you're a Christian, to live this pattern of life. It's called self-sacrifice for a reason. It's not automatic, but God defines you as who you are. So it's important that we keep these ideas clear. This is not the way to become a Christian. This is for those who are Christians to conform to what we are. And that's exactly the sermon. Let's just pray and go home. I'm giving you the sermon now, and I'm going to give it to you as we go through the text here. I only have a little bit to speak to you on today. I wasn't feeling good most of the week, and my mind wasn't as clear as I would have liked it to be. And so we're not going to get to the renewed mind. We're only going to look at what it means to be transformed this morning. We move from the negative assertion that the pattern of the Christian life is not lived out in conformity to the world. That was last week. We're not of the world. We're not to be conformed to it, fashioned after its likeness, pressed into its mold, to this positive assertion that we are to be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, the apostle says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we need to see this necessary connection between these two features. It's, you can't have one without the other. You can't have non-confirmation without transformation. They are necessary. They're symbiotically connected, if I could say that. So these are defining features of the Christian life. Apart from transformation, we cannot but be conformed to this world. Listen, you and I were at one time defined as being part of the world. That's who we were. I'm going to go through a few texts this morning because this, these verses, uh, Romans 1 or 12, 1 and 2, are really in a nutshell what Paul and what the New Testament has to say throughout the epistles about the Christian life. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Listen to what we were the state that we used to be in. He, the Father, has delivered us. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. Remember last week we saw 2 Corinthians that Satan is the theos of this age, this world. And we've been delivered from that domain of darkness, here he says, and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're no longer, we no longer belong to this world, this passing away age, the sinful rebellion that marks this age and this world. We belong to the kingdom of Christ in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then you go down to verse 21 and he says, 
and you, and you just put the finger right on yourself, okay? Put it right on, if you're a Christian, put it right on yourself, and you're going to want to because of what follows. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's who you were. That's what defines you, in fact. Listen, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. That hostility of mine, that doing evil deeds, that's what we were about, that was our purpose, that was our goal, that's hostility of mine towards God. We were consistent with that. God's sovereignty Ah, I'm the master of my, my, my domain, my life. I run my ship. I do what I want to do. Who is this God to rule over me? That's, that's our condition by nature. Or 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 speaks about it as well in very poignant terms. Do you not know that the unrighteous, now that's categorical terms, The unrighteous speaks of the world. Those who are defined by their rebellion against God in mind and heart and actions. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I preached this one day uh, at an Easter service on the pier in Hanalei. And my point was not to focus in on those, that truth necessarily. My point was to focus in on because of Christ and his death and his resurrection, what follows is true about us, though we were defined by that and those types of sin, and that type of unrighteousness. That's who we were. He says this, and such were some of you in this church. You fit all of those categories in this church. Such were some of you. You were defined by those particular sins. That's who you were. That's who you were. Now, right now I want to ask you the question. When I'm reading here in Colossians and in Corinthians about these sins, do you become hostile? (laughs) Or do you agree with God? That's a good definition of who I I was. That's That's a good definition of what I was. Those are good definitions of what I pursued before I became a Christian. Some of you have grown up in the Christian church, maybe you never lived outright pursuing sin, but you definitely know the hunger of temptation to sin. If you're a Christian, you still understand what it is to be tempted of sin. But the scripture is saying here, this is who you were, but who you were. That's what I want us to understand. We are not that anymore. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and by the Spirit of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 is probably the best commentary on Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's, that's, if ever you can understand this, this is important. The Bible is always the best commentary on the Bible. And so if you ever have parallel passages like this, passages that open up the truths that we're going to be looking at, uh, find them and mark them and, and pay attention to them. He says in verse 17 of Ephesians 4, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that, listen, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. No longer. That means there was a time when you walked according to them. These, these Gentile churches, these were all first-generation Christians. They didn't grow up in the Christian home, you know? The, the whole pattern of their life was idolatry and sexual. That's how the civilization was ordered around them. The Grecian-Roman world was ordered around them in these ways. And he says, don't walk as the Gentiles do in the, futilities of, the futility of their minds. Notice what he says here to a Gentile church predominantly. Don't walk like Gentiles do. Because we're no longer defined like that before God. You see, that's what I want us to understand. We're not Gentiles. We're not Jews any longer. We're in Christ. All right? We're not in, in these categories before God. They are darkened in their understanding. Understanding. Think of that. We're going to come to renewed mind, and we'll look at this next week, God willing. Alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. Now, this is not saying that these people are stupid. And we're going to talk about this next week. Don't... don't Imagine for a moment that it's your intellect that allows you to see clearly what we're being taught this morning. Oh man, I've just got this great mind that just absorbs these truths. And it's just too bad my neighbors and my family and all the sinners out there, they just don't have the same quality of brain, you know, that I do. That's not what he's talking about. Due to the hardness of their heart... They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Ooh, that's important. What did you learn about Christ? If you're a Christian, what do you, del what do you delight in about Christ? You delight in his righteousness? Do you delight in the truth? That he is the truth? The way, the life? Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, to put it off, which belongs to the former manner of life. You're getting, you're getting this feature, aren't you? As, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That former manner of life is corrupt in all deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, transformed, transformed. We could cover much of the New Testament with similar passages, and we'll close with one more today. But I want to say this about conforming to the world first, again, because I think it's important when we ask the question, what does it mean to be transformed, that we see it in light of conforming to the world. Last week, we looked at a lot of uh, practical elements of what it might mean to be conformed to the world and what it doesn't mean to be conformed to the world. Conforming to the world would be to think and to do the things, listen, that we have been saved from. 
It would be to revert to our old life. An identity before God. This indicates something very profound. That is, we don't belong to that life anymore. You know, the, the Greek word, as I understand it, that Paul uses, that we, tra- that we translate conformed, means just an outward picture. And so, some scholars say that what he's saying here is, that's not who you are. Don't be conformed to what you're not. <laughs> Don't you know what God has saved you unto? Why would you go back to that? That's not you before God any longer. It's not how God reckons you. It's not what he's called you to be. We are children of God through adoption. We have the spirit of Christ within us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Are we going to go back into that pattern of life that God has saved us from? Don't put on that outward fashioning again. And we are nevertheless still needing transformation so that we won't be conformed to what we used to be. So we're not yet perfect, or John says in chapter, or 1 John chapter 3. We haven't yet, Paul says in Philippians 3, we haven't yet attained to that which we've been attained for. And 1 John 3 says we haven't quite come to that image of Christ yet. We know that when he comes, we will be like him. But we're not there yet, but we purify ourselves now. You see, this is a process the apostle is speaking about. So that means this is continual. The non-conforming, transforming aspect of the pattern of the Christian life is continual. It's not like, oh, we did that yesterday, we're good. Uh, This is ongoing. What does it mean then to be transformed? My first answer is it doesn't have to do with our new birth. Meaning, Paul is not saying be born again now. It does have to do with our new birth, but he's not saying it's that you be regenerated now. So I'll explain myself. New birth is wholly the work of God, the Holy Spirit. It's not up to you to be born again, just like it was not up to you to be born the first time physically in this life. There's an analogy there, isn't there? Well, you didn't do much to birth yourself. Uh, you didn't do anything. That's this, the work of God, the Holy Spirit. John 3, 1 through 8. There's no injunction laid upon sinners to give ourselves spiritual life. You can't do it. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. It's God who makes us alive. By grace, you have been saved. Now, we shouldn't think of transformed, however, as being cut off or disconnected to our spiritual birth. Our spiritual birth is included in the phrase, by the mercies of God, in verse 1. It's by the mercies of God that the pattern of the Christian life is to be lived out. You remember, we're a Christian first, and then we're living out this pattern. So our new birth is essential in this. Also, the idea of the renewed mind is important. It's It's not make yourself have a new mind, it's 
renewing your mind. You're alive. Now get that gray matter of your spiritual mind moving again. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. When Jesus was transfigured in Matthew 17 and Mark 9, uh, he uses the, the Greek word is the same there as here for transformed. And there's some people that say, well, what this means then is that we just become uh, wholly different people uh, every day. You know, every day we should just see this glowing effect of, of the gospel on us. And I think that's probably ideal. But, but I think what Paul is saying here is in, in relationship to the not being conformed to this world is summarized so well by Dr. Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones when he says, what transformed means here is be what you are. Don't be what you're not conformed to this world. Don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind essentially means be what you are. When Jesus came and he showed himself in that transfiguration before the apostles there, did they see anything that was extra to Jesus? The, the transformation just showed who Jesus was. <laughs> it showed who he was. I don't think we understand what it means that he was veiled in flesh. <laughs> the glory of the Son of God veiled in flesh. And just to unveil that for a moment, that's who he was. See what Paul is telling us about the transformed life is this is who God has saved you to be transformed. When we live in accordance with the pattern of this Christian life, we are being what God has saved us to be. You're not of the world. Jesus prayed for us that we not be taken out of the world. We're not of the world. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them from it. Don't be who you're not. You're not the world. But listen, remember last week, Ephesians 5.20, I said we'd come back to this. This teaching directly, I believe, parallels what we're understanding here is the transformation. Ephesians 5.20, for at one time you were darkness, children of darkness, walking after the pattern of disobedience, he talked about, but now you are light in the Lord. Transformation means let that light shine. It's not your light. <laughs> it's not the light of who you are. It's the light who God has made you, saved you to be. It's the light of the glory of the face of Christ Jesus in clay pots. That's how Paul defines himself clay pots. Walk as children of light. Don't be who you're not. Be who you are. Light in the Lord. The nuance in Romans 12 too, and it's important to notice, is our being transformed. This is continual, as I've said. 2 Corinthians 3.18 also uses the same word that Paul renders transform, that we translate transformed here. But here's a beautiful picture of this process of what we call sanctification. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. That's Christ. You see, the light is not ours intrinsically, it's Christ. Are being transformed in the same image. So that affects that faith, that looking to Jesus affects us, is changing us into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You know what that means? It's not all happening today. <laughs> it's not all happening right away. That be transformed is a continual process while we were on this earth. The not conform, the transform is continually happening. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It does not come from our own abilities, but it does come from the ability that God has given us through the Spirit. Now, some might object at this point, and I'll close soon. You say, uh, be what you are is what this means. Be not conformed, but be transformed. Don't be what you're not. You're not the world anymore. Don't be that way. Don't act that way. Don't conform your life, your, yourself to that pattern of life. Instead, be transformed. Be who you are. Be who God has saved you to be. But you... But I know, because I know my theology, that to be justified means that I'm at once declared righteous and at the same time a sinner. So if you say, be what you are, and I'm still a sinner, meaning I still sin, maybe I should just sin, be what you are, right? So I want you to understand what I mean. Every Christian sins, but categorically speaking, before God, how God defines his people, if you are in Christ, is that you are not a sinner. That's a categorical term as I'm speaking about it here. You sin, but you are not in the categorical term of sinner. Let me, let me give you some examples. Romans 5.18 says, For as by one man... One man's disobedience, that was Adam, we know that. The many, that is mankind, all who are defined by Adam, which is everybody by birth, were made sinners, right? Sinners there is categorical. That sinners, in verse 12, is bringing death to everybody. And not just death, meaning we'll die one day, everybody dies, but judgment, condemnation. Listen, but here's the contrast. So by the one man's, that's Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's categorical as well. For a Christian, our sin doesn't define our standing before God. If it did, we wouldn't be righteous. We would not be justified. When God, when, he, when we've already looked so much in Romans chapter 3 through Romans chapter 8, and we talked about justification by faith alone through Jesus, by grace alone through Jesus Christ alone, when we speak that way, we mean that is how God defines us. He counts his righteousness as ours. Our sin was counted to Christ. That is how we are seen by God, the judge of all the earth. That means that's all that matters, fundamentally. If God deems you to be righteous because of his Son, if the Son has set you free, you are free. And that's what happens. That's the glory of the gospel. 
is even now we can be at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right, so we've laid that foundation already. And this is how God defines us. Do you realize, Christian, that God looks at you and sees his son in you? He doesn't look at you and see your sin. He saw your sin on his son when his son was bearing it on the cross. And he turned away. So that to you, he will not turn away. If you have his son. If you trust in him. That is the glory of the gospel. It's the boast. It's why Christ is our only boast. It's why we don't boast in, a, in the minutest or the grandest work of righteousness that we do. It's only in the cross of Christ that we glory. And this is why the scriptures can say, listen to what the scriptures say about us, about you, the one who struggles with sin, who, the one who struggles being conformed to this world still, the one who has to be told, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed. Listen to what it says about you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you, if you are in Christ, is a new creation, a new creature. You're something totally different. You say, I look in the mirror, I don't, I'm not getting a lot better here, you know? It doesn't matter what you look at in the mirror. It matters what God sees in you. You know, one of the, I'm going to finish this verse and then I'm going to say this. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. And that's in you. One of the ironic things about the Christian life, and this is without exception, the more holy that I've known someone to become, the more they see themselves unworthy of the grace of God and the mercies of God. You know that? The more you align yourself with Scripture and the image of Christ and this pattern of the Christian life and walk, the more you see that you could never fulfill the righteousness of God. This is why the self-righteous who boasts in their own righteousness and look how good I am and look how I look, just I'm so much like Jesus, they will never get it. Because they don't have the Spirit of God. They don't have the mind of Christ. They don't know that the gulf between them and the righteousness of Christ is not one of degree. <laughs> but it's important for us to know that, isn't it? But it's because of what God has brought us out of. You know, the new, the new covenant is... The promise is that he's going to take out of, our, out of us a, a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and take away the scales from our eyes so that we can see and the hearing so we can hear. And that means we have a sincerity. We have a sensitivity. We agree with God. We love God. 
And that also means that we understand when we fail God. But Christ doesn't fail us. Being not conformed and being conformed is the pattern of the Christian life. It's the pattern of someone who knows that our righteousness is hid with God on high. It's the pattern that is to be worked out every day of the Christian life by grace, by trusting in the the power of God, with the knowledge that God has saved us apart from any works that we do to deserve it. And I'm just going to close with this text. Titus 3, 3 through 8. It just gives another analogy of what we're learning. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Man, can you just feel this in this day and age, this culture? Can you sense where this These sins are becoming acceptable norms in our culture. This is who we will be expected to be in this culture. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, Those two components are so important to what we're looking at. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. He's talking to a preacher here. Insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Do you see what he's doing here? This is who you were. This is what God did for you. Now devote yourselves to not conforming and to being transformed. 